Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Seasonal Tokens Podcast, where Polar interviews people so you can do more investing and less gambling. Hello everyone, it is Power here, the CMO of Seasonal Tokens. Welcome on another episode of the Seasonal Tokens podcast. And today we have another special guest. We have the co-founder and CEO of Cypher Rock, Rohan. Today we discuss with him important things like security in crypto, the dif- difficulties that people have in most of the cases with self-custody, why a lot of people are still keeping their money on exchanges when there have been a lot of issues with with them lately. What are the observations of Rohan about the myths regarding crypto investing and a lot more than that. So if you are interested in crypto investing, then this episode is definitely for you. But before we start, I need to remind you that all that you're going to hear in the episode is not a financial advice it's just an opinion of the speaker and the guest so and it's just the opinion of the speakers it's just the opinion of the participants in in the discussion they if you want to invest in crypto you should definitely have a professional to advise you so all that you're going to hear is just opinions based on our experience so enjoy the episode so thank you again rohan for joining the show Thanks for having me, Polar. It's been a pleasure. Perfect, perfect. So can you introduce yourself and your background with a few words? Sure. Um, hey, everyone. I'm Rohan. I'm the co-founder and CEO at CypherOck. So we at CypherOck are essentially building the world's first crypto hardware wallet without a seed phrase. Uh, my background, we, me and my co-founder, we both hail from India, specifically from Delhi, which is the capital of India. And uh, we started our journey, I would say, in crypto around 2017. Um, I still remember distinctly because this was the first time I got sort of intrigued toward the whole Ethereum ecosystem or like the blockchain and the decentralized ecosystem in general. Um, This is January 2017. Uh, We thought, hey, because me and my co-founders, we are both um, you know, engineers by trade, we said, let's hack something on Ethereum, right? And uh, we said, Let, let's let's try to build a, like a decentralized crowdfunding thing on Ethereum. So we went to the hackathon. We didn't end up building too much because Ethereum ecosystem, at least the developer ecosystem was not that mature at that time. Uh, we just hacked a small solution that worked out. But uh, what caught my eye at that point was, why someone paying $21 for something digital? Because as humans, you know, our value is generally, um, you know, when we start out, it's generally tangible, right? It's it's very hard to conceive value being digital, right? And so, I mean, I, I didn't realize, like, why would someone pay $21 for something digital? It doesn't make sense for me personally. But 
the catch here is I was the same person who bought Ethereum at $250 five months down the line, right? So that's been how I started my journey into crypto. Um, and 2017 was sort of the age of, uh, you know, the ICOs and the whole Ethereum ecosystem was just propping up. And we said, you know, to, to best learn about the space, the best thing to have is to have skin in the game. And so whatever money that we had earned a little through the internships, the freelancing work that we did at that time, we put all into sort of investing into different tokens, different coins, because we, we said even if we lost the money, we would have learned a lot by having our skin in the game, right? And so 17, we like did pretty good. I would say 3x, 5x the money towards December. But then when 2018 came, January, you know, Pola, how it was. Uh, yeah. you know, it was sort of the start of the crypto winter or the crypto bear market. So we lost most of it, uh, whatever we had earned and some in principle as well. And we decided, you know, what we realized was everyone is sort of a genius in a bull market, right? It's it's when the bear market hits that you realize, like, okay, you are not that sort of a genius. Uh, it's the market doing its job. And so we said, you know, we as engineers, we are not traders. We are not like, you know, short-term speculators good at it. Um, and we should rather much focus on solving core problem, fundamental problems in the space we, that, that we as builders could solve ourselves using our own skills, unique skill sets. So that was our journey, you know, into the whole crypto space at that time. From background wise, as I said, me and my co-founder, we are both engineers. I'm more from the software background. So worked in, you know, all sorts of different companies, remote, set, remote companies before it was sort of cool. Uh, with Fossesha through Google Summer of Code, was part of an early stage AI startup as well uh, that got acquired for $2 million at that time. And also, uh, you know, had some, spent some time working in a big company uh, called Apollo Munich, uh, you know, in the healthcare sector. Um, I had a job offer already with Samsung, but we said, you know, blockchain is something which we believe, truly believed and even believe today is sort of the ne next frontier in terms of how the internet sort of evolves over time. And we would have regretted if we didn't sort of spend time building something in this space. Um, my co-founder on the other hand, he's more from the hardware and the security backgrounds so has worked in partnership with Lockheed Martin before and was sort of the first uh, team member and employee at Nimble Labs, which is the food robotics startup based out of India. So we said, you know, let's join hand and try to solve some core issues in the self-custody wallet space and crypto. Okay, okay, pretty impressive background experience. But I have this question for you. Um, everything sounds great, but um, why you haven't stayed in, uh, in your other job with Samsung or having another project in the Web2 world when you have so many opportunities like that and we know that Web3 is still risky, uncertain, like maybe they can crack it tomorrow, shut it down. Governments will say like, I know in, in India you have a lot of uh, issues with government and a lot of taxes for crypto and things like that. So why you didn't stay in Web2 when it is more secured, uh, like when we talk about uh, job security and things like that? So there's actually a very interesting story behind that, Pola. So um, this is, as I said, I was there in my senior year, already had a job offer from Samsung. And so I said, you know, I have a lot of time now. So I started building side projects at that point. 
and one of the side projects was basically an android app that i developed in like 15 20 days and try to grow it out to like thousand dollars per month in revenue right which is i would say great for a college student right it's like you know side project money you are interesting you are you know you are you are sort of creating value at the same time you are sort of learning a lot about building anything in the first place and actually when when you earn that sort of first dollar even if it's like one dollar it it gives you that feeling is something unmatched right so i was i, I was like and this is still i was still there uh, in my senior year at college so uh, it grew to uh, $2,000 for a few months. But then one fine day I woke up and then Google had sort of shut down the app because they had uh, changed some of their internal policies due to which the ad had to be sh app had to sh shut down. And so for that, I mean, obviously it was not something which was sort of life changing for me in terms of money and everything. So I learned a lot, but what I realized was that a lot of different businesses are actually dependent on like Google's and the other sort of uh, infrastructure provider today in the Web2 space. And uh, it's always a risk that we didn't used to think before, which is around uh, the concept of existential risk, right? Which is what if Google sort of shuts you out of the ecosystem tomorrow, right? And it's, apart from me personally, obviously it has happened to a lot of different businesses, which probably never gets covered in the mainstream media. And so for me, it was like, what is the next thing that I, that I can build that will never get shut off, right? And and that's how, because I had already been introduced to the Web3 ecosystem, I was like, okay, I think this is where the future of uh, software is going to be built, right? Because whatever you build in Web3 is going to be sort of uncensorable. And so, what? and this is my, in fact, thesis as well, that most of the Web3 growth, and even today, if you see, it's actually being catalyzed by developers and not that much of the users, right? Which is because you as a developer now have an infrastructure which you can't, which is never going to be censorable. And so whatever you build is going to last a lifetime, right? So that, that I think solves a lot of core issues. And if you ask a developer, obviously we are not at the stage wherein the developer experience of Web3 is equivalent to the web developer experience of Web2. I, it's, I think it's coming there, but it's not there yet. But if you see, if that ever happens, which I feel will happen eventually, why would a developer ever build on the Web2 stack? Because they know whenever they build anything on Web3, that's never going to die down ever from their point of view, right? And so I think that is why um, even crypto Web3 today is sort of more developer focused than user focused. And if the developers start shifting out from the Web3 stack to Web3 stack, the users obviously have to go there because that's where the new apps are going to be built. Yeah, and I think that transition has, has already started and um, you are bringing a very important point that uh, there is some sort of monopoly of the platforms, like you mentioned, Google, the same is with Facebook and amazon also we know that they, they should businesses here and there whenever they decide and and sometimes it's even their robots the ai that is working for them and uh, then you are trying to convince the ai that it has made a mistake but like it's uh, close to impossible and i have heard stories of people losing like thousands upon thousands even millions of dollars overnight 
Right, exactly. Um, and I see, I personally feel that this is going to be sort of catalyzed much faster uh, than what has sort of happened. You know, people actually question that, you know, FTX was, again, even if we sort of talk about FTX, people think about FTX as being the failure of crypto, but actually it's just a failure of centralized systems, right? Um, the decentralized exchanges today, like D by DX and Uniswap are still working as expected, right? So there's, there's no change on that front. And even the DeFi protocols themselves are working as expected, right? It's the CFI protocols that got whacked in the last sort of, uh, the, the, in the last sort of three to four months that we sort of witnessed all of this. And so I believe that uh, most of the growth of the Web3 space is still left. We are still very sort of early uh, in the journey. So this was sort of one of the reasons why, you know, we, I personally was very interested to build something when it comes to sort of um, the next revolution about the internet, right? And uh, if it's that going to be, we we, did never, we didn't want to regret tomorrow that we did when we had the chance, we didn't actually go deeper into the ecosystem. Yeah, it, it makes total sense to me. Like if I was a developer, probably I will do the same, uh, especially if I have been through an experience like yours because it's definitely devastating definitely devastating to lose your business overnight because an ai has decided that you have made a mistake that in most of the cases you haven't done so it's it's great opportunity i believe for like people that want to start business on digital on digital network but um, like we mentioned there is one issue with the web3 space right now and uh, this is something that i suppose most of the people that are joining the crypto don't realize till they lose uh, some of their funds or all of them and this is the security so this brings me to the question which is that uh, which is that what do you think most people miss uh, miss about security when they are joining the crypto space Right, Pola. So one of the key things we realized was that usually whenever someone's sort of starting out in crypto, it's usually through an exchange. That's when he or she gets exposure to their first Bitcoin, their first Ethereum or whatever token or coins they are sort of interested to, um, you know, buy or get, get their exposure to. Um, and what ends up happening is they feel that whatever is whatever they have sort of personally experienced in the web2 world slash banking world sort of applies here as well so you know things like web2 security which is you know if you lose your password the web2 platform is going to recover it for you or if so, like you you're trusting your bank with your funds that whatever funds or whatever assets or whatever you know currency I'm storing with my banks is going to be safe. And in somewhat ways it is because you have the government banking, backing it, you have uh, insurance on the funds, which is sort of stored there. But when it comes to crypto exchanges, there's no sort of, there's no sort of protection of your funds, which is sort of stored there. So what that means is people come with that same user behavior of the web to banking world, but they don't realize, okay, the count, the counterparty risk that, that is sort of negligible in the web to world slash banking infrastructure world, it's actually present here. 
which is if your exchange, crypto exchange gets hacked, that means you're not going to get those funds, whatever you sort of invested uh, on, an, on the exchange itself, because they were the ones who sort of custodied, custody it on their own sort of platform, whatever, right? And so they don't have this notion about counterparty. That is sort of similar to what happened with FTX as well, which is a lot of people sort of trusted it saying, this is the you know, very safe um, exchange and everything. But you know what happened in the background, right? Like they were meddling with users' assets to invest in XYZ things without the user's permission. Um, in the traditional banking system, like there are provisions for that, you know, there, there are limitations for that. There is regulation for that on what you could do with users' assets if you're if you're like sort of a bank. Um, and so what ended up happening is people who were not at all caring about security in the first place, all the way became too much paranoid about their crypto now, right? So it's like they started questioning everything in the crypto space, and that's when sort of a hardware wallet itself becomes uh, like a lot more prominent. So the reason why, in fact, if you ask me why we started this company as well, like it was the same thing, which is we realized and which is sort of even sort of prevalent today, which is uh, that the exchange today has like a lot of more mind share into crypto when it comes to new users joining the space. And if that continues, we believe that the exchanges will have sort of the same regulations as like a bandage regulations as well uh, in the future like the banks do and if that happens then I think that will be similar to the old infrastructure the banking infrastructure the financial infrastructure that we already have today right and so the web3 ecosystem will not be able to sort of fulfill its promise of being uh, of enabling you know basically the financial freedom and basically users having control uh, over their own destiny, right? Or maybe businesses having control over their own destiny. And so what we realized was self-custody is something which is very critical in terms of Web3 Web succeeding, right? It's not just a function that, okay, you know, if, if DeFi NFT succeeds, then Web3 is going to succeed. I, I, I don't agree to that. I feel if we don't have self-custody enabled for the masses, we might never have mass adoption of Web3. Right, because that's a very critical component of the Web3 ecosystem that separates it out from the traditional financial system that we sort of have today and use. Yeah, absolutely. You are one hundred percent right about that, and uh, it's much easier to work with a exchange than to actually buy a hardware. A hardware wallet and go through all the procedures with it and uh, people still don't fully understand how to do it and uh, forget to uh, put their seed phrase and then uh, if they have written their seed phrase they for forgot they where they have written it and things like that but we will cover that but um, these are just part of the issues that uh, people are having with uh, self-custody do you have that there are others that uh, maybe I wasn't able to mention that are somehow stopping people for using hardware hardware wallets and use more exchanges? Yeah, Paul, I think I think it comes down to sort of convenience. So if you see the user journey into crypto, it's generally like 
exchanges are sort of structured as Web2 platforms themselves. It's like you have a sign-in, login, and password. You log in, you get exposure to crypto, and that's that, right? It's when the user goes a little, little deeper into the ecosystem. It's when they realize, oh, it's just not about speculating on these assets. There are DeFi products that I can use. There are NFTs that I can buy. There are a whole lot of other things that can that can do with crypto, which they didn't uh, consider before. So now, because you have to sort of use DeFi products, you have to use NFTs. Now you need to have a wallet. You can't do, you can't use these products through your exchange wallet that you have. So that's when people realize, oh, I need to maybe download a MetaMask or maybe a trust wallet or in that sense, like a software wallet. Once he downloads it, you know, on his phone, on his PC, he realizes, oh shit, uh, okay, uh, now I need to secure the seed phrase, right? Um, and, it, and obviously every sort of wallet tells you that if you sort of forget it, it's sort of, you know, your funds might be lost forever, which is like a very new user behavior. And that's when they realize about the security comp, uh, complications and self-custody. Like your, the wallets have been hacked before. There has been cases of seed phrase getting hacked. There's been case of how are funds going to transfer in case something bad happens to the user. So all of these questions start coming to the user's mind and then that's when they sort of consider buying a hard wallet once he's sort of trying to do his own research from the internet. So I think that's a gradual process um, I think a lot of work needs to be done on the education side itself that it, it sort of comes to a point wherein a user is able to decide either the exchange route or the hardware wallet route from day one itself. I hope we reach a stage that so that from day one itself, the user's asset are by default secure and it, it's going to stay uh, in a place wherein the security exposure or the attack vector exposure is the minimal. Right, uh, so that's our personal hope as well. What we are trying to achieve at Cypherock, um, um, and we, I think, we are, we are sort of getting closer there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think that um, you, you're um, you are developing a very interesting product, and uh, I haven't <laughs> seen some something like that before. But we, we, before we talk more about that. We know that self-custody is not perfect, right? It has its own limitations. Can you mention some of them and probably also mention how do you believe people can solve them? Right, Pola. So while we were sort of trying to, as I said, you know, to, towards the senior of our college, we were trying to see what are the core problems existed in the space. We said, you know, self-custody is something which we found broken. And at that point, we were sort of using competitor hardware wallets for storage of our own assets. But then we realized, I think because at that time, it was similarly along those specific timelines that it, the funds in those hardware wallets also got hacked, even the top two ones, right? Um, they got hacked and they, I mean, it was sort of distribute, uh, it was in fact demonstrated by a hardware security firm that the top two hardware wallets uh, had vulnerabilities in them and uh, they were able to take out the private keys from the wallets and that was pretty surprising for me because i initially thought that you know those were pretty secure and those were pretty unhackable in the sense and that's what the impression is for most of the users in the space as well and so we started digging deeper into the space of why that was a problem and we realized that okay nothing in the world is 100% secure 
and what ends up happening is because your crypto private key is stored in a single place if the hardware in which it is stored which is the hardware wallet if that gets compromised that means your private key will also get compromised in the process and if the private key is compromised that means the the hacker will be able to take funds out of that and in crypto you don't have reversible transactions right so you won't be able to get back those funds ever again and so from first principles we realize the only way to solve this problem for the long term is to never store the private key in a single place so essentially just like how we have blockchains being decentralized we thought can't the private keys also be decentralized right that was our sort of whole idea around building cipher rock so we instead of storing the private keys in a single place what we at cipher rock do is we sort of decentralize the private keys into five parts and all of those five parts is you know controlled by the users they can sort of store it into different locations but the best part is whenever you are trying to make a transaction you don't need to fetch all of the five parts you just need to fetch the device and any one of the card to which is any two of the five parts to be able to make a transaction and so what this enables is even if one of the hardware is compromised in our case that would not mean that your funds are compromised right because in the case of other hardware wallets it's like if hacker gets access to one piece of the hardware your funds are done and dusted but in this because you have geographical distribution also so the hacker needs to find at least two out of these five things first physically and then only then try to hack the pin protection on top of it and only then he or she will be able to hack through the assets so this is this was sort of our first insight on how can we make hardware wallets 10x more secure than you know sort of what what is already out there that was the first problem the second problem was that every wallet that you sort of use today um uh, that could be a software wallet or a hardware wallet right um every wallet sort of comes this with a seed phrase backup right so seed phrase is basically like your 24 words recovery um encoded version of your private key which you have to write down on a piece of paper right uh the reason why you have to write it down and store it safely is because that hardware in which your private key is stored what if that gets corrupted what if that gets lost right so you need to have a backup of that private key somewhere so that even if the hardware is lost or corrupted you still have a way to recover back your assets right but here's the problem what we realized was if someone gets access to this seed phrase your wallet security is of no use right because your private keys are now exposed on a piece of paper so hacker the attack vector sort of shifts from your wallet to this seed phrase now right um and it didn't make sense at all for us that why would a normal user ever need to have this in fact we already seen cases of seed phrases hacked before so there was this uh, recent hack in the slope wallets uh, in the solana ecosystem wherein the the uh, the seed phrases were sort of sent in plain text to the servers right and that's how the funds got compromised for for the users um at the same time even for a hardware wallet i heard a story wherein a guy in australia you know had his fund drains uh, due to the seed phrase lost uh, case and there was a recent uh, in fact uh, a video got uh, viral on twitter wherein a police officer is basically checking a person 
uh, persons belongings in the car and while he's sort of checking out his belongings in the car he's <laughs> he's shown like and this is all captured in the camera by the way so you can see the actual video wherein he's shown the seed phrase of the users because the users stored that seed phrase in his car so in the video it's captured the whole seed phrase is captured in the video itself it's actually a very funny video and the police officer correctly guessed that okay this was a crypto thing right they, they didn't know too much about it but they were able to identify okay this is a crypto seed phrase right so we are not too long ago long uh, you know uh, late into the future when people will be able to you know recognize it from a piece of paper itself that's what it is and so we, we thought like you know seed phrases need to you know get removed for the mass adoption of the crypto um, it's both a security nightmare as well as it's a UX nightmare of writing it down on a piece of paper, storing it safely, and so forth and so forth. And the third problem we realized fundamentally from the wallet space what what happens to my crypto if I die, right? Uh, if I die tomorrow, my funds in my MetaMask, my funds in my ledger, my funds in any other wallet, what happens to them? Because if you see with traditional assets, right, like your real estate, stocks, bonds, cash in the bank account, the governments and the banks takes care of the inheritance process for a specific jurisdiction. But when it comes to crypto, we, the existing infrastructure doesn't support that, right? Because you cannot take your seed phrase and give it to a lawyer saying, hey, keep it secure for me in case something bad happens to me according to my will, give this seed phrase to this person, right? Because what if the lawyer gets rogue and transfers out the funds because you're now given him the possession of your seed phrase, right? So you can, the problem with crypto inheritance is you cannot give your keys, which sort of gives you access to your crypto assets while you're alive, but because what if hypothetically the relationship changes and uh, the other person runs away with the assets? And you won't be able to prove that in court as well, that he or she was the same person who took the assets, right? That's why we have today that Craig Wright is also not able to prove that he's sort of Satoshi, right? Without actually doing a signature himself. Um, and similarly, you cannot give your keys after your death because obviously you're dead. So how do you transfer these keys? When do you transfer it? And how do you make sure that the privacy and control of the assets are maintained? So very, very fundamental problems that we realize in the space, in the wallet self-custody, and that's what we sort of are trying to solve itself around. Yeah, absolutely. These problems are um, very common. Like everyone, especially just joining crypto, is wondering how or he or she will be able to handle all this new stuff that uh, he she has to to take care of uh, especially if he she realized that uh, if this is lost nobody is able to refund him or get him her the funds back so it's a it's a big issue and i suppose this one of the reasons why a good amount of people are staying away from um, hardware hardware wallets and also from crypto and they're just like trading and then converting back to dollars and things like that because they know that if something happens with their funds the bank can somehow compensate them but still i believe that most of the people are using exchanges to hold their crypto assets which we all know that it's a it's a big mistake and we just mentioned why but um 
except the things that we just mentioned or actually you just mentioned, why do you think people are still counting that much on exchanges than using their own hardware wallets? I think apart from the convenience reason, a lot of thing goes to education, I think. Um, people don't know about too much about hardware wallets at this point. Um, people don't know why it's sort of needed at the first place. Usually at this point, obviously I would say apart from the DeFi NFT and the actual stuff being built, a person when he or she gets exposed to exchange, usually he's, he's there to sort of speculate in most cases, right? That's at least that's what becomes the hook for him to get into crypto, at least for most of the people, not, I would say not for developers and, and sort of builders out there, but most of the non-technical people, it's, it's a way for them uh, to speculate and, you know, gamble their money in some sense, right? Because they have their extra money, someone referred them, hey, you know, they made X amount of money in crypto. That's how they said, oh, I want to make money as well in crypto. That's why they sort of get into exchanges. I think we'll have a lot of different use cases which sort of prop up in the future. Um, and it's already sort of happening with DeFi protocols and different NFT projects that we have today, which sort of uh, enable direct on-ramp of people into the crypto space directly without an exchange, right? So those are some of the things uh, I would say which are still not enough out there for users to act as a motivator to jump in directly into a crypto wallet without ever in a hoop uh, of going through an exchange. So if there's a killer app, which is sort of part of the crypto ecosystem, which you can't access on an exchange, you have to get exposed to a wallet. And if a new user is interested to do it, he or she will sort of, you know, get past the UX challenges to be able to do it. But at the same time, obviously it's the ecosystems responsibility as well that for the normal users the ux and the security issues are not there in the first place right um, because when he or she hears about the different hacks that happened in the space it sort of deters as you rightly pointed out it deters them from entering in the space in the first place right um, so if we have an ecosystem which is sort of welcoming, if we have an ecosystem which is sort of UX friendly, if you have a system which is security first by default, just like how he sort of trusts his bank, right? Wherein he just puts the money there and he'll know that, okay, the funds are safe there, right? It's not going to get hacked in some sense. Or if it gets hacked or if there's a thief who compromises the bank's assets, I'll be paid back by the government in some ways, right? So. Um, I think that's sort of missing there in the crypto. We don't, we didn't have enough security solutions. We didn't have enough UX-based solutions for users to onboard. Uh, and so I think we are sort of uh, getting there and I'm pretty hopeful that it's going to happen in the next couple of years. I hope so too. Uh, it would be better if it happens in the next uh, few weeks, not few years, but uh, I doubt so. Uh, it takes time, that's for sure. One of the myths... Uh, which I think are somehow affecting people in their decision if they're going to use hardware wallet or exchange is that it's actually more secure to use your funds on exchange than on hardware wallet, which I think is a, a very big myth. 
And like you said, with proper education, people will understand that it's actually a myth. What do you think are other myths uh, related to, to crypto investing that people are hearing all the time? Yeah. Um, so what coming back to the original point, you know, I think one of the key differences is like people are still not thinking crypto at least at this point as something very correlated to something like gold wherein they see it as like an asset investing so if you if you consider gold today right there's two way to keep gold you can either keep it in a bank locker or as most users do they keep it with themselves in their homes in their lockers or stuff like that right people usually don't have that sort of notion around because they think crypto very similarly to their passwords and their passwords are generally always kept digitally it's never that they write down their password ever and store it somewhere right uh, but when it comes to crypto, it's it's unlike password, right? It's because the key itself is the asset, right? The in the case of password, it's like it gives you access to something additionally. But when it comes to crypto, the key is itself is the asset, right? If someone gets access to the key, that means they get access to the asset themselves, right? And so I think the narrative sort of needs to shift more towards uh, something similar to gold than something similar to passwords, right? And if that happens, then okay, people will realize, okay, there's now two ways to keep it, which is one way is to keep it digitally in an exchange or maybe in a software wallet with more security or somewhere, somewhat like in a locker, like how I sort of keep my gold today uh, through a hardware wallet, right? So I think that narrative is sort of, I think pretty much changing specifically after the whole FTX saga and everything. People are trying to question everything and they're trying to come up with uh, uh, like or search for solutions which are sort of security by default, they have sort of become very security paranoia, I would say, you know, when it comes to keeping the crypto. Coming to your say, uh, the next point, which is around crypto investing. So I think a lot of it is still uh, speculation, but again, you see a lot of different projects which has, which has touched or which has crossed that uh, threshold period of time. If you take Bitcoin, right, it's been running, it, it's, it's been almost having almost zero downtime, right? And it's been learn, running for the last, you know, 13, 15 years, right? And it's been still going. And uh, usually with assets like these, it always comes down to Lindy effects, right? Which is, the Lindy effect says that the longer something is staying out in the wild or operating successfully, uh, the longer is going to say the exact same time also in the future. So it's like if Bitcoin has been running successfully for about 15 years with, with Bitcoin, right? So with Bitcoin, uh, this thing called as a Lindy effect. And what do I mean by Lindy effect is uh, so like the longer something stays in the wild and is running successfully, the longer the, it's going to stay at least the same time in the future as well. So if we see Bitcoin running for about, you know, 13, 15 years successfully till date today, it means it's, it's going to stay for another 15, uh, 13 to 15 years at least as well in the future, right? So for crypto investing, like usually I see people uh, getting exposure to Bitcoin and Ethereum as their sort of first choice because they have had the most Lindy effect, I would say. But I think there are different projects coming up which have their own sort of uh, advantages, uh, their own set of use cases that they are trying to build around. 
and so it will be very interesting to see how sort of that evolves over time yeah absolutely a lot of great projects are starting but they only time in order to achieve what they plan to achieve or to fulfill their mission and we know that people don't have that patience in crypto so i hope that the new users or the new investors that will join here will understand that patience is very important and uh, it's not only important in crypto investing actually it's important in everything in life but that's another topic uh when we have been uh when we started the conversation you mentioned something very interesting about your crypto investing journey in 2018 and how you have lost a good amount of your money and i suppose uh, this uh, may uh, maybe not the case if you had uh, knew the things that you know now so what do you think are some of the basics that uh, a person should know about crypto investing when he or she is starting yeah so i think the person should be aware of or at least holistically be aware about all of the risk that comes associated with the crypto investing first so that comes about you know risk of loss of money and if you think about loss of money or the assets that you sort of invested in there are different sort of risk when it comes to you know crypto investing in general so you have if if it's a token that you are sort of thinking to buy there is something called a smart contract risk where which which is the token which is the the contract to which the token is sort of deployed to is there a possibility that that gets hacked or something right in this is specifically more prominent in a defi protocol right so that's one risk one additional risk i would say apart from the traditional you know investing space the, 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 these are some additional risks you need to take care of when it comes to crypto investing so one is obviously smart contract risk the second is the counterparty risk right this is and this is something which we talked about a lot around ftx as well which is people actually discount this a lot when it when it's, when it's the first time that people get from a web 2 based experience to like a web 3 based experience they don't have counterparty risk as part of the basis of evaluating an asset as well as storing their assets themselves so they need to be pretty cautious about where they are going to store their crypto assets usually there are three different ways to do it uh one is in a centralized platform wherein someone sort of controls it for you another could be a, a dedicated you know something like custodian who are you know who are insured and you know obviously that's not democratized for most of the users but generally for high net worth individuals and the third is which is more democratized and i think more more useful for most of the people because it's more it's lesser operationally um costly for most of the users and that's why self custody is sort of the route for uh, i think people should go for most of the users um and even in self custody then you have to think about you know is there enough assets that i hold that if it gets lost then it will be catastrophic for me on an emotional level right so that sort of comes into play and it's sort of subjective for people to i mean depends person to person so if it's that amount then obviously like the first thing that the person needs to do is sort of keep those assets in a hardware wallet so that the counterparty risk are, are sort of never there in the first place right so yeah mhm yeah absolutely i think that a lot of people are missing this part they 
they believe that it's better to keep the assets on the exchange so they can keep trading them and enrich faster the amount that they're looking to reach. So, which is somehow related to the speculation and gambling that you mentioned. One other aspect polar is, so this is something, again, this is what my personal experience is, that a lot of people get into crypto for speculation, as you rightly pointed out. But once they go deeper into the ecosystem, they realize that exchanges, even though they are great for speculation, don't have the most alpha, right? That also becomes a hook, right? Because usually on exchanges, it's the projects when they list, it's when sort of it's available to broader community for the people to buy. And so they realize, okay, you know, there's a way to actually get more alpha if I'm more bullish about this project, even before they are listed on exchange. And that's when they, you know, realize about the whole DeFi space, NFT space. And if you ever have to go that route, then you already need to use a wallet. You can't go the exchange route, right? So I think it's a journey is what I'm trying to say. Like there are people who first get into an exchange, they get exposure and everything. But even if you're just, you know, going into the ecosystem just for making money, let's assume that. Even that's the case. Even then people will eventually use a wallet because for getting more alpha, you have to get off the exchange and go, you know, more into private sales and stuff like that happens in the crypto. Yeah, and exchanges can't help you with that. But uh, it's like... The internet, like we mentioned, when you are starting using it for the first time, you have to go through some steps in order to start using it properly. And I suppose with Web3 and with everything, it it will be the same. For now, I believe the steps are much more difficult than to start with internet, for example. But in the future, this will change. But um, I want to get back to the point of speculation and gambling. So how do you think from your perspective and your experience, a person can do actually more investing rather than gambling in crypto? Yeah, for me, so if you ask my personal journey, um, uh, because we have been building the wallet for like the past few years now um, and improving on that every day. Um, Obviously, I want to store, you know, stay as close to the ecosystem as possible, but the ecosystem is so fast moving that it's so much difficult to, you know, keep track of everything that is sort of happening around, uh, you know, happening around in the ecosystem. And so my advice generally for people who want to get exposure into crypto, and this is not investment advice, you know, this is just for informational purposes only from my own, you know, personal experiences is to just, if you are someone starting out, just have uh, like a few dollars worth of Bitcoin to begin with. Have that, start experimenting around with different sort of ecosystem, right? Which is the wallet ecosystem. Then you have the DeFi ecosystem, the NFT ecosystem. Just be curious at first before, before investing a lot of money, right? Because uh, there are a lot of scamsters out there in the space and uh, you have to do your own research before you fall prey into any of those sort of scammers, right? And so for me, it's like if you don't know anything and if you're, if you're in for the long haul, I'm just like, you know, have it in Bitcoin and just forget it, right? If the space succeeds, I personally believe that Bitcoin is sort of going to succeed as well. 
So if you're someone who don't want to go too much deeper, but if you just want to get exposure to the ecosystem, I think Bitcoin as a starting point is good enough. As and when you decide that, okay, you want to go a little deeper into the ecosystem and then, you know, try to learn more and more things, then I think you can go to the next best, next best one, which is Ethereum, you know, hold it for some time. You can have a adjusted ratio between Bitcoin or Ethereum, however you like as a person and what your risk appetite is about the space. Um, one of the other advice I give is generally don't any don't invest any amount of per, uh, money, at least at the starting point, which if, it, if it's lost or if it goes to zero, it doesn't destroy your life, essentially, right? So I, I see a lot of people taking, you know, loan out or they're, they're taking off their mortgage, uh, mortgage to sort of buy crypto, which is so wrong, I would say, right? Um, only sort of invest what you can afford to lose is generally what my uh, understanding is because I think the space itself is a very uh, developing space. It's not like a wholly developed space at, even at this point. Um, and so it's like if you're someone who's not going to go deeper, just have the usual coins. If, if, if the amount goes significant now, like let's assume you know you, you accumulate over time, and you're not lo looking into speculative trading, you are looking into it for the long-term investing. So long-term investing is usually like you maybe buy, you know, few crypto every few months and you're not checking the price. You're just betting that the industry is going to stay and grow for the next three to five years at least, right? So in this case, you're just accumulating month on month. And if it goes through a certain threshold where you have accumulated too much that if you, afford to, if you lose it, that's going to impact you emotionally and financially, so then you can maybe think about the security solutions and you know hardware wallet. Ideally, in most cases, I would prefer people to consider it uh, upfront so that that risk gets resolved from day one itself. And so your operational risk, your uh, counterpart risk, all of those risk factors are almost always solved because you don't know when the next bull market hits, right? <laughs> and today's crypto, in the, the amount that you have invested in, it might go 5x, 10x, 50x in the next few years and you don't want to lose out on the gains in case of because of a security hack right you don't want to lose because your wallet got hacked or in some case maybe the exchange on which you uh, kept it got bankrupt or it vanished away right you don't want those things to happen right so why not be safe from day one itself if it's possible right and again like it's it's the investment in a hardware wallet is sort of worth it if you are there for the long haul in the space. That's that's generally what my advice is around crypto investing. Perfect, perfect. I think that this is a great way to finish the episode. So Rohan, thank you very much again for joining my show. Thanks for having me, Pola. It's been great and we'd love to come again sometime as well and chat more. Perfect, yeah. Um, I'll definitely keep track on your product and maybe in 10, 15 years, I'll invite you back to share the successful story of, of the product. Sounds good, Pola. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having Perfect. me. Perfect. Perfect. So thank you very much to all of our listeners that have been with us so far. Uh, I truly appreciate your support and would be really grateful if you can share the episode with your friends and subscribe to, to the podcast because we have some other great guests like Rohan in the future. So thank you very much. I'm Power. 
the CMO of Seasonal Tokens, and I'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Thank you.